Welcome to the Anyona Podcast. On this show, we cover everything you need to know from early childhood development and education to parenting tips and much more. Now over to our hosts, Tracy and Zoe. Welcome once again to our Anyona Families Podcast. Once again, you're with myself, Zoe, and Tracy. Hello. Welcome back. We're glad you've stuck with us this far. (laughs) (laughs) Briefly before we start, we thought we'd just recap on the journey we've been taking you through because some of you may have just jumped in at podcast number three. So I'll just hand over to Tracy to just recap a little bit about what we've discussed in the previous two podcasts. Okay, so our first podcast, we really delved into what is emotional health and why it's important. So what sort of things can it help us do? And the reason why emotional health is such an important part of growing up and developing is that it provides us with resilience, persistence, healthy risk-taking, trust, relationship and attachments, self-confidence and self-belief. So we discussed, you know, what all of that means for being a successful adult in society and and being a happy adult in society. I think happy is the key there. We're not talking about everyone's going to end up being a brain surgeon or um, an astronaut. It's just about being grounded and happy within yourself and your path that you're taking in life. Well, as we spoke about in the last podcast, uh, you know, self-actualized, that's probably what we're aiming for. So in that podcast, we talked more about the mechanics of emotional health in terms of brain development, the development of synapses, central nervous system, and about how what we're really aiming is for a really positive integration between the upstairs brain, the downstairs brain, and the left and right brain. And that's all really, really important to feed into that too. However, as we did mention in the last podcast, that while there is a genetic component and while there's obviously a component that's just going to happen out of normal human development, the environment that we provide for children, the nurture aspect, I guess, is really, really important. And I guess today we're just going to talk about some ways that we can help support that and make it an optimal environment to help brains organise. Yeah, definitely. What I want to start this bit off is just to really clarify that there are no wrong feelings. Every feeling that we have as adults and that children have as children are valid. Nobody can tell you how you will feel about any certain situation or event. I guess probably where we need to sort of differentiate between this is that there can be wrong actions or wrong responses to feelings. So what we want to try and do as much as possible is to say well, that feeling is valid but you pulling your sister's hair because of that is not. Yeah, and that's where that integration comes in. That is the parts of the brain speaking to each other. It's the reactive side being kind of curtailed by the responsive side of your brain, basically. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. It's that downstairs brain kicking in and not engaging the upstairs brain. Yeah. You know, this is the bit that none of us want to hear, (laughs) is that so much of what we can, how we can help children with their emotional regulation comes down to our own personal, as parents and caregivers, our own regulation. So now's a really good time to probably just to stop and have a think about those moments where you are experiencing a strong emotion, be it stress, be it sadness, be it fear, be it joy or happiness. And I guess really pause and think about, well, how do you respond to that? What's your ways of dealing with that. I always joke that 
mine is to reach for the chocolate bar. You know, some people might exercise, some people might not think about it or deal with it at all. They might avoid a situation. These kind of um, responses, the way we deal and cope with big emotions are really quite affected by intergenerational mm-hmm. um, habits. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It is has been proven that in moments of stress, we become more reactive and we resort to our our what's been hardwired in our brain, which is often the way that we were parented. Yeah. And that's why at those moments when you know, your your children are pushing buttons, you'll hear your mother come out of your <laughs> mouth or your father and you'll be like, where did that come from? I always said I was going to do things differently. And it's because that's what was hardwired. And in those moments of stress, you don't have the ability to access your upsides, upstairs brain <laughs> yep. and, and, and choose different things to do or say. So from that perspective, it's really, really important that whenever we're as much as possible. None of us are perfect. And I want to make that very clear. Not every interaction is going to be um, picture perfect. But as much as possible, we aim to respond to children, not react to children. And we need to be as well regulated as possible, which is sometimes why it is appropriate to get you know, the the other parent in the house, if there is one, or grandma or an auntie to step in if you need to. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is obviously how you respond to a, an incident, let's say, is how they will learn that. They will see how you respond and then that will be that will send them information about whether they are good or bad or they have disappointed you or and they will learn to copy that. So yeah. they will go then to their playground and they will say those words to their friends and mimic that and they will really internalise that message. And I guess the other thing too is that if you are in a heightened emotional state, it will escalate their emotional state. It's just the way it is. You know, at work, if someone comes in and they're in a grumpy mood, then that grumpy mood spreads to everybody. Moods are contagious. (laughs) Um, And so if you're coming in angry and stressed, they're going to escalate their response, their emotional response, because they're not able to, to find that calm place that they need to be able to regulate themselves. And I guess this is all part of being an adult, <laughs> is that we're meant to have more practice and more ability to do that. But it's not always easy when you're sleep deprived and all of these other things that happens when you have infants in the house. Yeah. And I guess um, something that's fairly new and a lot of these people that we refer to talk a lot about is helping children to reach emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not particularly something many of us as, uh, you know, adults who are parents now would have had experience with um, and certainly not the people in the generation before us probably didn't even have, I don't think they had the term emotional intelligence, (laughs) you know, that was talked about. So, so we're kind of, as adults, we are flying a little bit blind. Somehow we got there. <laughs> Somehow we figured out how to regulate our emotions to a level. But I guess what we're trying to do is really give our children a head start by helping them to understand that at a much younger age. Absolutely. So as I said, how we respond to situations informs how they develop in so many different ways. And I could honestly talk for three hours about that, but I won't. So once we sort of come into it, you know, regulated calm, and calm doesn't mean that we approve if there's been a behaviour that we can't accept, but it means that, so we will still set that boundary, but we will do it in a calm way so that we're not adding to any 
angst that is going on. Yeah, you don't want two downstairs brains going at each other, basically. It's never, One of never you succeed. needs to be trying to access that upstairs brain. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I guess the other concept that I'd like to introduce at this point is empathy. Now, you probably all know what empathy is, but I would like to, and I will attach a link into the the notes that go with this podcast to a YouTube clip of Brene Brown explaining what empathy is. So I think, you know, one of her examples is, is empathy is really understanding where that person is coming from. So saying, you know, I can see you're really upset. I'm here for you. Whereas sympathy is more like coming in and saying, I can see you're really upset. At least this didn't happen. Let's do this and trying to solve the problem. Um, Whereas empathy is really just being with that person in that moment and going, I can see how sad you are and I'm just going to sit here and be with you and we'll do this together. We're in it together. Yeah. I quite often visualize them as um, one being top down. So sympathy is like, I'm looking at you and I see that you're upset. Whereas empathy is more like bottom up cradling the person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lovely visual. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes empathy can be really hard, especially in an adult child relationship where a, we could see how the problem could easily be solved yeah. <laughs> um, and so we wanted to solve it yeah. for them and also be that to us the problem may not be that big. So the example that I always like to use is, you know, the blue cup. My, you know, the child is absolutely devastated on the floor crying because they didn't get the blue cup with lunch. The blue cup's in the dishwasher. It's not an option. And you know, coming in with sympathy will be like, well, at least you have a drink. Well, let's go get the blue cup and wash it or Mm. trying to give solutions. Whereas empathy is coming in and going, oh, you really wanted the blue cup. You can't have the blue cup. You're really sad about that. It's acknowledging that that child's feelings are real. It's not giving in and immediately getting the blue cup out of the dishwasher and, and washing it, but it's validating that feeling. Sharon Smith, who we she's a Rye associate. We've worked with her a lot over the last six years, has a little saying. I don't know if she took it from someone else, but I've <laughs> taken it from her. You know, always sort of says the mantra to have is, though the danger may not be real, the fear is. So for the child, even though having the blue cup is, you know, from our perspective, is there's no real consequence on that child's life, for them, the sadness is genuine. Yeah. Something I've been um, discussing with educators at Adiona is the fact that in that moment that is that child's truth and it doesn't matter what our truth is or what it's getting in the way of in our day we need to stop and help that child in that moment because that's the most important thing that they need to go through that because no matter what we think or feel it is absolutely their truth. Yeah and the thing with that too is that you know now it's over a blue cup but when they're in high school, it's going to be over a lost friendship. And then in uni, it might be that they didn't get into the course they wanted. And then it's going to be they didn't get the job they wanted. And they're going to be, or, you know, losing someone they love where they have that sadness. And so the way that we respond and the tools that we teach over the blue cup are going to translate and form those connections for when it is those adult and hard periods of people's lives to get through. Better to practice on the small things. Absolutely, absolutely. That's how you build skill. Yeah, that's right. None of us can start running. We need to start at the baby steps. And that's why 
you know, children do get sad over blue cups mm. is because that's the way that they are learning. What happens generally when I guess a child is experiencing emotional dysregulation is that the, the downstairs brain that we spoke about in the last podcast is really taking control. Yeah. <laughs> Their amygdala has kicked in and it's like, I'm blocking the stairs. I'm not letting you go upstairs. <laughs> exactly. And it's amazing the things that can happen. Like you can physically see what children go through. You know, they, they get rigid. They've clench their hands, some children go red, you know, the tears, the hysterical sobbing. And, you know, one thing I find fascinating is when that happens, the muscles in the ears actually get smaller. So they physically cannot hear what you're trying to say to them as well and, and tunnel vision. So everything sort of shuts down. Yeah. It's all that fight and flight stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's survival. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but as we know, that part of the brain is also responsible and responds to connection. So this is why we're saying that empathy in those initial stages of a meltdown or strong emotions, and even I'm, I'm even including when your child is so happy that they are running around the room screaming because they're so excited about something, that is a state of emotional dysregulation. So that we need connection. One thing that I always recommend and, and, and I must admit when we saw Dr. Tina Payne Bryson speak at a conference earlier this year, she spoke about how, you know, one of the first things you can do is actually just get down, sit down, be at the child's level or below yeah. because then you're not a threat and you're not another danger. You're not another thing that they need to be watching out for in the room. And it helps you calm down. It's, it's hard to be angry looking, you know, yeah. sitting down. I always say that's my, you know, my three second calm down. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's yeah. like, and breathe out. <laughs> and, you know, say to them, do you need a cuddle? Do you want to come here? I'm here when you're ready to talk. So even if they've exhibited a behaviour in response to a strong emotion that you do not approve of, where you want to start is, I can see you're upset. Acknowledge the feeling. Acknowledge what's going on for them. I can see you're really sad. I understand. I understand why you were so angry at your brother or I understand. And then connect with them. So um, especially with your own children, that's maybe some form of physical connection through a cuddle or a, you know, a kiss or rubbing their back, holding their hand, whatever they and you are comfortable with. And then Connect on an emotional level, as I said, really acknowledge that feeling. One thing, you know, as an example that we have at the centre is when, you know, children are sad when mum and dad leave. I know from a lot of centres that I have observed and, and general practice that they pride themselves on how easily they can distract the child from their parents leaving. Whereas we very much at our centre take the approach that we are going to sit with that child and we're going to acknowledge that it is hard when mum and dad go and I'm going to be there with them for as long as they need me to be and really work through that with them. Yeah. Small amounts of um, appropriate stress in childhood actually is what builds resilience. I'm not talking large amounts of stress, but those moments where you sit with a child and go, it's okay to be sad. They're experiencing a little bit of stress, but you're supporting them. And so that's what helps them to build the resilience parts in their brain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I guess, the difference between sitting with that child and going, look, I know you're sad. I am here. You, you are not alone. This is what's going to happen. As opposed to distracting a child is that that next time, you know, that child's 
will know, they will know and those periods of sadness will get shorter and shorter. And to be honest, it's not a linear thing. So if the child has a bad night's sleep or there's a change at home or something like that, then, you know, they may be upset for longer. Like that's all perfectly natural, I guess. But the thing is that they will develop those tools to be able to manage those feelings. So on their first day of high school and they're walking in there and they don't know anybody, they their brain has already made the pathways of how to deal with that. Mm. So it's it's, you know, still scary but not as daunting. Yeah. And I think something that's probably important just to put in there as well is we shouldn't underestimate how much language children can understand. Absolutely. They are born ready to take in language mm-hmm. uh, and from our experience on the floor of like you can see the amazing amount of language that children can understand at a very young age when you accept that and you use whole language. Yeah, absolutely. I guess with that too, that we're really, when we're wanting to engage the upstairs brain and that critical thinking. So once, using the example of a a child who's extremely upset because mum and dad have left, you know, once we've made that connection, we've had a cuddle, we've talked, you can see the child physically starting to control then we can engage the top brain and start to bring logic into it that, oh, mum and dad will be back. And this is, we're going to have morning tea, we're going to have lunch, we're going to have sleep, and then they're going to be back. And these are the things that we can do the day and that gives the child control over what's happening in their day. So the whole thing is, you know, connect and then engage the upper, the upper brain. Yeah, definitely. So when we show children empathy in those moments, it helps them understand that and show that for their peers um, because empathy is something that we have to learn and it's not always easy. So when we demonstrate that to children, it it allows them to have it for other people and it also allows them to have them for themselves, which is really important because while obviously we all need a degree of self-reflection, we don't want people becoming, growing up being too self-critical either with a lot of negative self-talk that we touched on in our first podcast. Because that is also can be debilitating. So we, we it de- helps them develop empathy and compassion for themselves yeah. as well. Oh, I'm going to make a mistake, but that's okay. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. And it's also probably really important to also try and do those things when children are indifferent, like not just upset or angry, you know. Oh, absolutely. And like you mentioned just before, when they're super excited, yeah. you know, to talk yeah. them through that as well because that helps them to develop that part of their brain as well. So, yeah. 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 And some of the strategies that we'll talk about in a minute will help with that as well. Yeah. One last thing, I guess, before I get into those is that with um, emotional health, we're really looking for children and adults to develop it um, interdependence instead of independence. So we all, you know, as a species <laughs> need connection. Mm-hmm. As I said, um, as we mentioned in our last podcast, it is a biological need mm-hmm. and, and we have things in our body making us seek that. So we really want interdependence. So we want to be able to form and maintain healthy relationships. We want to know when we, you know, we need to ask for help or to admit, look, I've made a mistake. Can you help me out of this? Or I've made a mistake. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. Because we're all going to do that. And if we don't set that interdependence up, then, you know, down the track, it can be quite tricky for teenagers and adults to feel comfortable asking for help or admitting a mistake or seeking support when they need it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's 
Um, we have a lot of uh, mental health issues out in society these days and some of the experts that we talk about um, quite often talk about those issues. Dr Bruce Perry, he talks about how with the evolution of the nuclear family, we kind of stepped away from that interdependence a little bit mm-hmm. and we probably need to start thinking a little bit more about how we as a species for thousands of years were very interdependent on each other and we probably start to need to move back towards that a little bit as well and so by building community. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we just want to make safe spaces where people feel that they can reach out. Yeah. And hopefully we're creating one of those. That's (laughs) (laughs) That's what this is all about. So I guess down to some concrete sort of strategies or things that you can keep in mind as you go through this journey with your children is that, you know, role modelling is really, really important. So I'm not just talking about being emotionless in front of your children. I'm not talking about that at all, but rather being as calm as you can in those moments or in those moments where you are feeling angry or stressed or like you're going to flip your lid, (laughs) doing things like saying, I actually need a minute right now. I can come back and talk to you in a minute or I'm going to go get a drink of water and then I'll be ready taking a deep breath and counting to 10 in front of them and going, okay, now I'm ready to talk. Yeah, because quite often, I guess, um, by the time you get to that point where you are really frustrated, the children are typically a little bit older as well. Absolutely, yeah. So yep. you can communicate to yep. that to them and they will be safe within a space for you to step out for a moment and then come back. Yep. And, you know, this may be a cultural thing, but also things like, you know, when you are sad, you know, allowing just, you know, you don't need to go into details with your children if it's not appropriate and all of that, but just going, you know, if you're upset, just saying, I'm feeling sad, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea and give myself 10 minutes to look after myself and then I'll probably start to feel better. So you're demonstrating, I feel sad, I can look after myself, I can be compassionate to myself and I know that this feeling is temporary. Yeah, all healthy coping mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, or even saying, you know, let's just cuddle on the couch because that helps me feel better. Yeah. And then they know, oh, when I feel sad, I can ask mum for a cuddle on the couch because then that will make me feel better too. Yeah. Those sorts of things. So don't be afraid, you know, it's explaining the whole situation may not always be appropriate, but don't be afraid to, you know, talk out how you are dealing with whatever emotional state you are. You know, super excited. I'm super excited about this. Let's go jump on the trampoline because I have so much energy. I'm excited. (laughs) Giving children outlets like that. Yeah, because we are humans. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So the next important one is being authentic. And so that sort of folds into that role modelling, what we were saying is like talk through how you're coping with things. But it also means we are going to make mistakes. Mm. There's going to be one day where we're going to yell or we're going to say, oh, I've told you 3,000 times or whatever it is, generally with older children, as Zoe (laughs) said. And it's about going back and going, I was really frustrated at this moment and I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Do this next time. And it's not saying to that child what you were doing was okay, whatever was happening to make me so frustrated. (laughs) But it's not putting the blame on that child. I am responsible for how I react. But it is saying, I'm sorry and I'm going to try and do better because that's what we ask of our children. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, Tracy. We we can't actually change how other people behave, particularly in a situation. No, no, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we can only control our response to it. That's right. And then, you know, that goes with children. We we, we literally, you know, we can't control everything. They're going to ultimately decide how they're going to 
behave, we can only offer guidance. So that's what we mean by be authentic, you know, acknowledge when you could have done things better. Sports casting is another tool that's really great in helping children work through emotional situations and develop their ability to problem solve and, and resilience. And it builds that internal language for them to draw on when they are in a state of emotional overwhelm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So sports casting is like what you would imagine somebody commentating a sports game. <laughs> um, like, you know, like football. So you're just basically stating the facts of what's happening. Um, this is probably a good one, especially if you're not quite sure what has upset the child. So I can see you're crying. <laughs> I can see you're really upset. Um you know, you look like you might need a cuddle and then just wait, don't, you know, and see if they come to you. It's also really good in helping, or, you know, and then, you know, you can, you can ask questions. So, you know, what can we do to help? It's also a really good tool if emotions are running high between siblings or friends that are fighting maybe, you know, it's just stating what's happening. You know, Zoe took the toy off of you. You're very sad. <laughs> All of that is fact. And then Zoe can hear what's going on as well and then Zoe can make her own decisions about what she's going to do with that information. You're, you're being there, you're present, you're emotionally available and you're just stating what's happened. And yet statements are also quite have, um, helpful because you're not telling the child what to do. You know, it can be, I wonder if going to get a glass of water will make you feel better or I wonder what would happen if we did this. And if you have a child who's extremely frustrated, I have it a lot with my youngest one because he wants to do everything that his big sister does and isn't necessarily capable yet. So just, you know, re, you know, when they're upset because they're frustrated, it's saying you can't do it yet. We will keep trying. You know, it's important to say instead of just leaving the self-talk as I can't do it, it's like, no, you can't do it yet. We will get there. <laughs> yeah, that really builds that self-esteem. Yeah, yeah, and that resilience, yeah. that persistence, yeah, I definitely. guess, is what we're trying to get to with there. Being present. So that means, you know, you may have heard of it referred to as filling a child's cup. So giving them lots of love and attention in those care moments or when you can. So then that fills their cup so that when disappointments or strong emotions come away, their, their cup is full and they're more able to cope with that. Still having firm boundaries. So, um, you know, children need boundaries to feel safe. Without them, they feel a bit aimless and will feel the need to keep testing. And I guess it, that lower brain's engaged because they don't know what to expect. They don't know what's happening next. Mm. They don't know what response they're going to get. So it's really in consistency and, and with the limits and stuff is really important for children to feel safe and secure. Yeah. And a lot of the social boundaries that children push, push in this age really are related to those higher order thinking things. Mm. So it is about them learning that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Probably one for if we do a, a behaviour podcast. <laughs> but, you know, children at that age, they don't manipulate. They don't do things like that. They're literally responding to whatever information they've been given. And if that's like, oh, if I know if I cry for three minutes, then that boundary won't be enforced. Well, I'll cry for four <laughs> minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it, that's sort of, you know, it's just them trying to see what is safe. Yeah. And then, as I mentioned before, just acknowledging the feelings, just accepting them as genuine, even if we don't understand them, even if we don't agree with them, just acknowledging for that child that it is real can go a really long way to helping that child feel validated 
and and develop all of those things that we want for healthy emotions, emotional health, sorry. So I sort of have gone through those quite quickly, but there is a lot more information out there for parents and caregivers that want to, and I'll mention those in a minute. I just quickly wanted to say that all of these reasons and emotional health is such an important reason why Adiona implements a primary caregiving model. So primary caregiving is sort of inbuilt at home in terms of there will be a parent or two parents available for the, the children or grandparents in the in a family structure, primary caregiving is kind of inbuilt. But in a, a lot of um, early childhood care services, it's not necessarily understood. It's becoming more common, but it's certainly been a point of difference for us. And we've really noticed the difference in the quality of relationships and the security that the children feel in implementing primary caregiving where a child is interacting at all care moments with one caregiver for the whole 12 months. And then hopefully that caregiver moves on with them ideally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly has been a lot of change. And we've been doing it for a few years now. And so we are starting to see that flow through to the older rooms now because those children experience that in the younger rooms and um, their level of comfort within our environment is quite amazing and quite astounding to watch and the fact that now that they are starting to build on that in their their learning and their uh, next level of social learning is really lovely to see and we quite often see um, going back to the point that children learn through experience we quite often see the older children interacting with the younger children in the way that our carers interacted with them yeah. which is a really lovely thing to watch yeah no that's fantastic I guess the other thing I just wanted to say at this point too is that I know that when I started delving into this and looking at things through an educaring or rye perspective, I did wonder. I did it. Sometimes it felt because it was different to what I had experienced before, and sometimes I felt, oh, am I being too permissive? Is this really helping? Is this really? the way that I want to go, the words hippy-dippy may have been used. And I now have, when my daughter was five and she started prep, you know, a couple of weeks in, you know, laying in bed, she she had the language and the ability to identify with herself and she laid there and she said, oh, mum, did you ever feel like you didn't, you, you didn't fit in? And even for her just to have that concept and that ability to express that to me and then to her to go, you know, what did you do? Like, have you been in this situation and what did you do at five? Made me go, she's going to be okay. (laughs) You know, it was a real real moment for me to go, oh, you've got these skills and you have this emotional intelligence and you know to ask for help and we can talk through this and you know I'm a safe space for support and that was everything I've ever wanted. Yeah, and I think probably part of that when you start looking into like, Educaring and Ryan primary care is that it wasn't how we were parented. No. So it is that our brain is just reverting back to what it knew mm-hmm. and it, it you have to really fight against it to some extent because you mm-hmm. are trying to change the paths within your brain really as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. My my three-year-old at the moment goes through you know, he's he's having a lot of normal three-year-old big emotions, which I would expect. And when I enforce a boundary, you know, he will look at me and he'll go, mummy, I'm really angry with you. And 
I know I have gotten funny looks when he has said that to, you know, like, what, are you going to let him say that? Well, I'm like, well, you know what? He's able to say, I'm angry with you. He's not hitting me. He's not kicking me. He's not biting me. Yeah. He's just saying, I am angry. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I'd rather him be able to say, I'm angry and deal with that than it come out as a antisocial behaviour. Yeah. And that's early signs of good integration. You know, his bottom brain is saying, I'm angry. That's my emotion. But his top brain, his upstairs brain is connecting to say, well, hang on, there's some logic within this. I'm not going to act out. Yeah. 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 Don't get me wrong. Don't get it right all the time. (laughs) But I must say the signs so far with experimenting on my own children have been good. Um, So before we go today, I'd just like to mention as always, we would recommend that you delve into Dr. Dan Seagal and Dr. Bain. Payne Bryson for their wealth of information on all of this. And I think I mentioned before, they've got the books, The Whole Brain Child, The Yes Brain and No Drama Discipline. Also, there's a lot of information about, I guess, strategies from a parenting perspective. If you look into Janet Lansbury, she has a Facebook page, she has a website with a blog, and she also does podcasts now. So (laughs) it might be a bit more informative than ours, I'm not sure. And also, if you go to the rye.org website, there's a, a lot of information and they have their own bookstore. So anything from that bookstore would essentially be good. We also give out the book Upon Enrollment at Adiona, Dear Parent, about infant care, which would also cover a lot of this information that we've spoken about. Yeah, and I guess we should also probably do just mention that a lot of the information that we use at our work comes from Magda Gerber and all her research. Yes, absolutely. And we're probably going to dedicate a podcast very soon, I think, exclusively about what Rye or Resources for Infant Educators or Educarers, sorry, is about and, and a bit more a bit about of... primary care as well, perhaps yep. an attachment theory. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, that's probably enough for today. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, we will be releasing some different topics coming up in the future, but we just wanted to start with emotional health because it just relates to so much of what we're going to be going into. And hopefully you'll come back for a listen soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this episode of the Adiona Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more fascinating insights into the early childhood development process. And don't forget to rate and review the show so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode of the Adiona Podcast.